0: It's Monday, June 14th, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our study on 2 Thessalonians, and we are looking at Paul's uh, treat us to this church about eternity and the urgency of eternity. And so as we continue our study of Second Thessalonians, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, this letter is a stark reminder of the second coming of Christ. This, this book is a book of encouragement and hope to believers that our Lord Jesus Christ will come back to once and for all redeem and reconcile this sinful world. This book, though, is also a startling reminder for those that are lost. The second coming will come like a thief in the night, and it will lead to judgment and torment. So as we look at this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, I pray that it will highlight the urgency of eternity, encourage us to take, the, to take the gospel to the nations, to make the gospel known in our sphere of influence, and that it will affirm the crucial nature of ministry to the vulnerable that's rooted in the Bible and in the gospel. So this is what Paul says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're actually going to start with verse 5, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, because it continues this thought from Paul's introduction. It says, This evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we also pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see from this text, our eternal destiny hinges on our response to Jesus. Eternity is forever. Millions and millions and billions and billions of years without end. And that eternal destiny hinges on our response to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing this truth, we agonize over trivial decisions. Where to go for dinner. Where to to buy and what to buy uh, for our clothing or for our entertainment. Where to go on vacation. However, many times we miss the crucial nature of a decision for Christ, which will change a person's eternity. There is nothing more important than this. And this, beloved, is why as a ministry, we cannot compromise on biblical truth. We are looking at children's eternity. We are looking at men and women's eternity, not just what will happen to them this week or this month or this year. Getting a child out of a dangerous situation is absolutely crucial. Giving permanence to a child in foster care or living in an orphanage is paramount. However, if we don't also show the gospel and preach the gospel and disciple these children in the gospel, then we have missed a vital aspect of this child's eternity. The Bible is clear that those who deny Christ will inherit hell. And the Bible is clear that that hell is a dreadful reality for those who turn from Jesus. The truth about hell is not popular nor politically correct, especially in today's culture. But according to God's word, it is absolute truth. Our passage states in verses 8 through 11 that those who do not know God And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Some people today like to say that we should only validate the scriptures that reference what Jesus taught and to ignore Paul's letters, saying that Paul distorted or twisted Jesus's teaching. Some people say we shouldn't look to the Old Testament because it's old and it it doesn't apply to today. And so they want to think that we can just follow Jesus because he was a good man. He was a, a prophet. He was a, he was a decent, kind man. And that is all true. He was the perfect man, the only perfect man. However, if you don't like hell or you don't like the reality of hell, you probably shouldn't listen to what Jesus taught because you will find that Jesus taught a lot about hell. And this should be frightening to those who just want to follow the sayings in the life of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, be afraid of the one, the Lord God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Mark 9, 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better that you enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eyes Cause you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. J.I. Packer said this all the language that strikes terror into our hearts, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness, the worm, the fire, Gehenna, the great gulf fixed is all directly taken from our Lord's teaching. It is from Jesus Christ that we learn the doctrine of eternal punishment. Tim Keller comments on the same thing. He says, if Jesus, the Lord of love and the author of grace spoke about hell more often and in a more vivid blood curdling manner than anyone else, it must be a crucial truth. Beloved, it is a crucial truth that flows directly from all that we see in the gospel. If you reject Christ, then you will spend eternity in hell. Amidst the description of fire and darkness and destruction that we see of hell in the Bible, many ask if this is to be intended or taken literally or symbolically. It should be suffice to say that even if these are symbols, it's still not good news. Because the purpose of symbols is to represent something that can't be described in mere words. You see, beloved, God is holy and we have rebelled against him. And as a result, we are separated from God. And so when you picture hell, don't just picture a scene of fire. Picture hell as a natural outcome of our rebellion against a holy God and the separation from that holy God that our sin deserves. Tim Keller writes, In his book, The Reason for God, on how many people challenge how a loving God can send people to hell, Keller says this. He says, modern people inevitably think that hell works like this. God gives us time, but if we haven't made the right choices by the end of our lives, he casts our souls into hell for all eternity. As the poor soul falls through space, they cry out for mercy, but God says, eh, too late. You had your chance. Now you will suffer. This caricature caricature, misunderstands the very nature of evil. The biblical picture is that sin separates us from the presence of God, which is the source of all joy and indeed all love, wisdom, or good things of any sort. Since we were originally created for God's immediate presence, only before his face will we thrive, flourish, and achieve our highest potential. If we were to lose his presence totally, that would be hell. The loss of our capability for giving or receiving love or joy. And so, beloved, we need to remember hell is what all humanity deserves. Our sin is against a holy God. And we, we must remember that it is by God's love and grace that we even have a way outside of hell. We deserve hell. It's because of his mercy that we do not get what we deserve. So three things we learn about the doctrine of hell from this passage. First, hell is a place of continual rebellion against God. Verse eight says, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 1, 24 through 24, Five, Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, hell is just God giving people over to what they desire. They do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8 of Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Therefore, hell is a place of continual rebellion against God. We get forever the horrible freedom that we have demanded and are therefore self enslaved away from the all satisfying presence of God. Hell is a place of continual rebellion. It's not that man who has rebelled against God will go into hell and stop rebelling against God, they will continue to rebel against God. It is only by God's grace. It is only by God's sanctification and his sanctifying power in us that we can begin not to rebel. C.S. Lewis says there are only two kinds of people. Those who say thy will be done to God and those to whom God says in the end, my will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without the self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. Hell is a place of continual rebellion against God. That's why there's no good in hell because man is given over to his freely chosen identity apart from God. The very scary, the scariest, the most frightening thing is when God gives man over to what he has asked for. And that is hell, a place of continual rebellion against God. But the second thing we see about the doctrine of hell from this passage is that hell is a place of final separation. The Bible teaches us that hell is the finalization, the culmination of that separation. The Bible teaches that even though we live in a sinful fallen world, there's much common grace from God all around us. Jesus teaches that the sun rises on the evil and the good. God sends rain on both the just and the unjust. God blesses the sinful world with his goodness on a moment by moment basis. Yet for those who turn aside from him, and die in separation from him, all such blessings are removed. This is what 2 Thessalonians one nine means when it says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. A.W. Pink said this about hell, forever separated from the fount of all goodness, never to enjoy the light of God's countenance never to bask in the sunshine of his presence. This, this is the most awful of all. Hell is a place of final separation, finally separated from the God, the one who is the fount of all goodness, the one whose presence brings the only joy that this world knows. But the third thing we learn about the doctrine of hell is that hell is a place of eternal duration. One sin against an infinite holy God is worthy of infinitely eternal justice and condemnation. And this is the testimony of all scripture regarding hell. Verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians 1 says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal, eternal destruction, forever destruction. This is not a light momentary burden, this is a final judgment, an eternal duration. And we see this eternal nature elsewhere in God's word. Jesus says in Mark 9, through 48, that hell is a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire is never quenched. Jesus in the parable of the, the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25 says that hell, about this, about hell's eternal nature, that, that, that the Lord will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment. Revelation fourteen eleven says of those in hell that the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever, and there is no rest day and night. A Puritan pastor of the 1600s, Thomas Watson said, thus it is in hell. They would die, but they cannot. The wicked shall be always dying, but never dead. The smoke of the furnace ascends forever and ever. Oh, who can endure thus to ever be upon the rack? This word ever breaks the heart. The world and even some Christians think of hell and begin to question how a loving God could send people to hell forever. We think surely that's not just punishment forever. Is that right? Is that just? We begin to point the finger at God. We begin to whitewash hell outside of the scriptures. We begin to even write books like Rob Bell about love wins, thinking that no man will ever really go to hell and that you will always have an an extra opportunity. But that's not what scripture teaches. The poor man and Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man dies to go back to tell of his brothers and sisters to avoid hell. There is no turning back. And because of this doctrine, we point our finger at God, but we forget who he is And we forget who we are. A.W. Pink said, Who are we to pass judgment on the justice of the decision of the all-wise? Who are we to say what is consistent or inconsistent with God's righteousness? Sin has so enfeebled our power of righteous judgment, so darkened our understanding, so dulled our conscience, so perverted our wills, so corrupted our hearts, that we are quite incompetent to decide. We are ourselves so infected and affected by sin that we are altogether incapable of estimating its due merits. The truth of the gospel is that we all deserve hell, the wrath of God, and separation from God's goodness. However, God was so loving that he gave a way of escape when he sent Jesus to become sin for us and to give us Christ's righteousness. Second Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Beloved, life is too short and the days are fleeting too quickly for us to ignore the imperative of the Bible to preach the good news to those who are perishing. Second Corinthians chapter two from this passage, may we see the urgency of eternity. May we be encouraged to make the gospel known to those who do not believe. And may we affirm the crucial nature of ministry to the vulnerable rooted in the Bible and the gospel. I cannot compromise the word of God and the gospel. They are all that truly matter. But Paul also gives a glimpse of the beautiful reality of heaven for the Christ follower in these passages as well. Verse 7 says, that Jesus came to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Verse 10 says, When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed, because our testimony to you was believed. You see, heaven is a glorious reality for those who trust in Jesus. Hell is a dreadful, eternal reality for all who turn from Jesus Oh but praise God that's not the end of the story. Because of the gospel, heaven is a glorious reality for all of those who trust in Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3:20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things we learn about the doctrine of heaven from this passage in 2 Thessalonians. First, heaven is a place of full reconciliation. We will be fully reconciled to God for eternity. In our passage in verse seven, we see that Paul says that Christ will be revealed for the Christ follower. This is ultimate reconciliation. When we will see our savior face to face, where Christ will be revealed once and for all, the longing expectation of our faith will be realized and we will be reconciled with Christ and with our father and our creator. Revelation 21, 3 pictures heaven saying, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will dwell with him. Revelation twenty twenty gives this imagery in many different ways. One of a bride joined together with her husband, children united with their father, heirs of a king enjoying their inheritance with him, and participants in the banquet of all banquets. Heaven is a place Full of the reconciliation because Christ is there to reconcile us. The ministry of reconciliation was given to Christ and he reconciles us once and for all. And the second thing we learn about heaven is that heaven is a place of complete restoration. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter, 10, chapter 1, verse 10, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, Christ is glorified in us. This is final glorification when spiritually we will be completely free from sin. The Bible says that we will be literally will be robed with righteousness, no longer touched by even temptation. Heaven is a place where spiritually we will be utterly free to obey. Heaven is a place where sin will literally be unthinkable to us and ultimately be undesirable to us. We will be spiritually and physically restored. The lame will walk those with pain will have no more pain. Those who 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 have have had physical sickness or, or or mental sickness will be completely restored. The Bible pictures heaven as a new earth, a restored earth, where we will eat and drink and work and play and explore and discover an entirely new creation. Randy Alcorn says in his book Heaven, one of the greatest things about heaven is it will no longer have to battle our desires. They'll always be pure attending to their proper objects. We'll enjoy food without gluttony and eating disorders. We'll express admiration and affection without lust, fornication, or betrayal. Those simply won't exist. Heaven is a place of complete restoration. But the third thing we learn about heaven is that heaven is a place of ultimate reunion. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, And to be marveled at among all who have, past tense, believed. This is the realization that we are finally home and that our citizenship is together with Christ and his saints. Oh, we will be marveled at among all who have believed. We see in heaven described in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 to 24, that's the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's innumerable angels in festal gathering, and it's the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven into God, the judge of all, into the spirits of the righteous made perfect into Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Heaven is a place where we, as God's people, will recognize one another and love one another as a family before a Father, as a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, with ancestry from every generation. oh, oh what a glorious day and place that will be. And so, beloved, with the hope of heaven, Paul ends this chapter in verses 11 through 12 by saying this, to this end, we also pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are therefore Resolved to live our life worthy of this high calling. That Christ may be glorified in us and above all else that the life of Christ would radiate from us as an aroma of life to those who are perishing. In this life, we will all have trouble. We live in a fallen world and it affects the Christ follower and it affects the lost person. We all feel the effects of the sinful and fallen world. The difference is that as a child of God, we have the truth of God's word, the power of the gospel and the presence of our father who helps us persevere hardship with all joy. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, we are inflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So in closing, let us never overlook or miss the urgency of hell and the command to make the gospel known to those who are perishing. So four closing reminders and exhortations. Number one, let's minimize the temptation to dwell on temporal things. We are so infatuated with the things that are temporary and fleeting. Our conversations are all about this world. We spend most of our time talking about things that don't matter. Entertainment, food, and sports. Our adversary is blinding our minds in this culture to what really matters forever. It's not wrong to enjoy entertainment or food or sports but let's talk less about temporal things. And number two, the second exhortation, let's maximize talking about eternal things. Our conversations need to be seasoned much more with what matters. We need to go beyond the surface and get to matters of the heart. How can we take everyday conversations about things in this world and point to the eternal realities beyond this world? With the vulnerable and those that we serve, What will make a lasting difference is not a new technique or therapy, but that we introduce them to the gospel of Christ Jesus. Let's commit to investing daily the gospel in our lives, in the lives of the vulnerable, that we may serve as those around us. And that we also make the gospel known to those in our spheres of influence. But the third closing reminder and exhortation is we need to talk about health. We must speak of God's character with humble confidence, not apologizing or being ashamed, but by loving our neighbor enough to tell them the truth. We need to speak about God's judgment with healthy fear, love, and compassion. It was said of the pastor D.L. Moody that he never spoke of hell without tears in his voice. And as we talk about hell, we must speak about God's wrath with love and compassion. We are sinners saved by grace. We deserve the wrath of God. So as we speak of God's wrath, we talk as those who truly understand. And lastly, we need to talk about heaven. We must let others know that this fallen world is not our hope. Amidst pain, confusion, and questions, we know this fallen world is not our true hope. This world will constantly disappoint, but we serve a God who will neither leave us nor forsake us which reminds us as well that we must live knowing that this world is also not our true home. We anticipate being with our Father. We are sojourners, strangers, pilgrims, and aliens in this world because we are living for our true home, which is to come. And so with this truth, we can truly say, as Paul did in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is great gain. So beloved, there is an urgency in eternity. Let us be committed to the word of God and the gospel. And may we never forfeit the treasure of the gospel by compromising to the temporal ways of the world. We must always live to the eternal standards of our God without compromise. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Poland. We're praying for all of the families who have adopted before and all of those who the Lord would continue to prick their hearts to adopt. We're also praying for the ministry and the adoption centers in poland that are in charge of both domestic and international adoption in poland and we're praying that they would understand the need for international adoption we're praying that they would be more open to people to adopt there are so many kids are languishing in poland we pray for a change in the ministry and adoption center we also pray for the children pray for these children that are, are waiting Pray that domestic adoption would be happened. but we also pray that there would be found a way for some of these older, larger sibling groups and children with severe special needs to find forever families. We also thank God and praise God for our team that we have that's working so tirelessly in Poland. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come before your throne and to lift up the country of Poland. We pray specifically for families that are finishing up their home studies and families that are waiting for final permission to travel and to adopt. We also pray that you would bring more families that are called to adopt from Poland. We pray that you would especially guide more Polish families living in the U.S. and abroad to adopt from Poland. We pray that you would also just just have domestic families open up their hearts and their minds to adoption within their own country. We pray for the ministry in Poland. In 2016, so many changes were made to make it so much more difficult for adoption, both domestic and international. We pray that the adoption ministry there in Poland would be more open and allow more people to adopt like they have in the past. We pray for clear communication responses from the ministry. We pray for local courts and judges who have power in adoption decisions, especially in certain regions. We pray that they will see the value of adoption and children having forever families. We pray for continued favor with Lifeline, with the different adoption centers throughout Poland, that we'd work together with them, especially the Catholic Adoption Center, to find forever families for waiting children. We pray for those waiting children. We pray that they will be united with forever families. We pray, especially for those that are older or for those larger sibling groups or those children who have severe medical special needs, we pray that they would find a family either domestically or internationally. And we pray that it would make a way for them to come to hear the gospel of Christ Jesus. We thank you for our team as they continue to work in poland for sasha and for janna and jackie and brianna and sarah ann and timmy ann and toria and carla as they continue to work in poland despite the difficulties over the last few years we pray that the lord would open up doors for unadopted opportunities in poland that we'd be able to care for these children who are aging out we pray for sasha who's on the ground in poland We pray that he would continue to build healthy relationships with the government and that he would be able to advocate for children in so many different ways. And Lord, we also pray for the church in Poland, that you would equip the church, that you would use the church as your bride to make the gospel known to the vulnerable in Poland and throughout the country. Oh Lord, would your gospel be made known in Poland. would your gospel be made known to the ends of the earth. It's in your great name that we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at infolifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.